Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin is making it easy for businesses to take on Bitcoin, whether that's onto the corporate balance sheet or helping employees get a certain amount of Bitcoin every month as a benefit. So if you're looking to add Bitcoin to your corporate balance sheet, Swan Bitcoin Treasury Solutions can make it easy for you to do this. You can automate your Bitcoin investment, custody and management strategy, and you can have expert guidance every step along the way. Now, if you are an employer and you want to help onboard your employees, say you want to pay out 50 or $100 of Bitcoin every month, the Swan Bitcoin Benefit Plan makes it easy for you to do this. Swan handles all the heavy lifting, like creating wallets, converting currency, and routing payments. And like magic, your employees receive Bitcoin and world-class financial education monthly as a benefit from you. So if you're interested, go to swan.com business. If you're a part of the Bitcoin Builder community, Build on L2 is the community for you to check out. This is a community for Bitcoin builders by Blockstream. It's an initiative and a community-led effort for those people who are contributing and companies building on Core Lightning and the Liquid Network. This is an interactive community platform where if you are a builder or a product manager or a designer or an engineer, you can come together. There are events for you to network. There are mentorship programs to fast-track success. And it's also a community space to learn something new alongside other Bitcoiners building on the future of Bitcoin Layer 2. So that website to sign up is build on l2.com now when it comes to securing your bitcoin you need to think about using specialized hardware so software wallets are one thing when you're just getting started but the cold card is a device that you can use to secure your coins for the long term and this device can help it help you by making it easy to sign transactions so the cold card is a little device it looks like a calculator but you can use it easily with with wallets such as spectre or sparrow or electrum and it has a range of features you can initialize this device without connecting to the internet or to a computer and it doesn't have to phone home for you to set up and generate a wallet so that's a really useful feature go and get your cold cards over at coinkite.com and use code lavera for a discount there now, for the show today, my guests are Texas Slim of the Beef Initiative and Jacob Walke from Walke Farm. So we're chatting today a bit about Bitcoin and the connection with beef and the upcoming Australian Beef Initiative's first event. This is coming up on the 11th and 12th of February. So I thought this would be a great chance for any Australian Bitcoiners out there, as well as people around the world who just want to hear about how the scene is growing and developing internationally. And I think you'll find this a really interesting show. Slim and Jacob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Hey, how's it going? Good to uh, get to this together so fast for us. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> it's the first time Jacob and I actually have done a podcast together. So, But we're going to be uh, hanging out together a lot here coming up pretty soon. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, we should chat about that and uh, all the stuff that's going on. I know uh, I'm not in Australia anymore, but I am an Australian. So I thought this would be a really good opportunity to, you know, get a show in and talk about the Beef Initiative, what's going on in Australia and, and all of this stuff. But uh, yeah, I guess maybe if we, if you guys could sort of set the scene a little bit, I think one good way to start is maybe just to think about what what are most people getting wrong about nutrition? <laughs> I think that we Rabbit both... Hole. Go ahead. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, what What we call, I, I call it food intelligence, and we're lacking food intelligence across the world right now, you know, and we can trace it back. And I'll let Jacob, you follow up with this, but what happened, you know, we let, let's talk in Bitcoin, you know, type of terminology here. We, what the fuck happened in 1971? Well, we changed food as we changed our, our monetary systems. 
what happened is we debased our food as long as the U.S. dollar got debased. And in the United States, we really went, you know, there's a guy named Eric Butts, and he said, hey, we're going to go uh, fence to fence, and you're going to go big or go home. In the United States, what we started doing is monocropping, and we, we took a lot of the, uh, the strength out of uh, the communities that basically grew our food and stewarded our food from the past. That's how we had our strength in our communities was through our food systems. That happened in 1971. It progressively, we started introducing fake commodities here in the United States. And you look at the health of a nation, you look at the debasement of our food and the debasement of our dollar, we've basically cut out nutrition out of our consumption models. And, you know, that shows, especially in the United States with the health of a nation that now is metabolically bankrupt. We've got all the proof in the world and it's basically because of the lack of nutrition. There's a form of nutritional starvation I don't think anybody's ever really seen before. And it's really rearing its ugly head. And so that's kind of my introduction into, you know, what, what, what are we getting wrong with nutrition? We don't have pure animal protein like we used to. Yeah, Jacob, do you want to uh, add anything there? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I try to do when thinking about these sorts of concepts and fleshing out, uh, especially when you think about them for the first time, I just try to find patterns. And you look at chronic disease patterns at the moment, diabetes, cancers, all, the, all these sorts of things that seem so evident. And I can't find supportive data that we had undiagnosed diabetes to the level that we've got diagnosed diabetes today and where does that come from and then you start looking about how we're eating like slim saying you know the it's there's so much nutrition calories protein sitting on the shelves but we're all slipping in terms of health and we're just eating the wrong things in the wrong volumes at the wrong time so in our household we've got two young children two young boys and my wife's pregnant with a third and we have a couple really simple rules for food and one is if it wasn't food 100 years ago, it's not food now. So a Mars bar is not food. Twinkies aren't food. You know, you can consume them, but the best way to think about them is is a treat. It's confectionery. It's, it's, you can have it once in a while if you like, but it's not an everyday thing during smoke or at work. And the other rule that we have, there's two rules. The other rule is uh, if, if we can't make it at home, we don't eat it. So when we're going out and we're consuming things, it's just a really quick test. Would, and, and if you want to expand on that a little bit, you go, could grandma have made this? You can put the two rules in one. Could grandma have made this in her kitchen 100 years ago? Or for a lot of people listening, it might be great grandma now. And they might need to do a little bit of research to see what that means. And you'll find that people, you know, peasant food was so gorgeous. Like we've got restaurants in town here where I live now open up and they're calling their menus um, like French peasant menu. And it sounds like this funny sounds like poverty doesn't it but the food's so rich and elegant in its simplicity that we've we've lost the intelligence and that's such an interesting play on words with be, with um food intelligence is ironically we've lost the intelligence on how to eat simply and everything we're eating now is extremely complicated if you're wanting to use vegetable oil if you're wanting to make your own canola oil or vegetable oil at home an analogy i like to do is if you invited your uh, police friend over for dinner and he saw your set up to make vegetable oil he'd arrest you for cooking meth in your kitchen you know it's not a straightforward process but if you were making lard like you can make lard to fry your eggs in as a byproduct of just grilling some bacon in the morning and and it's so simple and elegant it's, it's a beautiful i like simple things make it easy for me yeah great and i'm curious how you guys are seeing this as well because you know we have 
obviously the keto and carnivore style of eating. And then we also have ideas like, you know, anti-seed oils, right? So don't use the processed seed oils, use things like butter, lard, ghee, these things instead. I'm curious how you weight these things. Like, uh, and then there are other people saying sugar is the worst thing. So how do you kind of look at those and which, which of those do you think is the worst factor? Once again, that's kind of a rabbit hole right there within itself. What I always like to say is, you know, acceptance and truth in food is the only thing that matters. I mean, we can pit, you know, pick all these things apart, just like seed oils or, you know, fructose, corn syrup or sugar or this poison or this poison. You can educate yourself and do this. I call it a circle jerk around seed oils. Yeah, that really. will. it'll keep you, you know, being able to point fingers at, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. And you get to the, in this analysis paralysis. And most of the guys that I talk to, people like Jacob, people like all the ranchers here in the States, they say, we've got to just start and make it simplistic. Get back to the source of the seed of what nutrition is. Learn how to eat the earth again. If you learn how to eat the earth again, you start there. You cut out all that other deception that we've created within the fake commodity and subsidized markets. You can get stuck in these carnivore diets, these different type of keto, paleo. So what, man? Get back to the source of the seed of what basically we came from. Like Jacob, I always tell people, start living like your grandparents. Did your grandparents have seed oils? Well, they might have had Crisco. The heritage woman kind of was destroyed by marketing around food. Crisco was first invented because it was cotton seed, and we weren't buying and making or using candles anymore. So they turned it into vegetable oil. So if you can accept where all of this stuff actually came from, it was taking that nutrition and that heritage out of our families and out of the education of people like Jacob and people that you know used to steward these communities to where you don't have to worry about seed oils and certain types of uh, diets start with the foundation of what dense pure animal protein is or clean food you know you you forget about all the seed oils you don't even think about sugar you know jacob's kids they don't say over and over again they want that sugar because it's not around it's not even a mindset once you go down this rabbit hole of what really food intelligence is and now what we're teaching is beef intelligence you take that out, that factor out of everything. There's not even a conversation to be had anymore because you're using butter. You're using dense animal protein. Everything else is you're using fruits that are dense in uh, color in, 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 you know, in, in as far as nutrition from, you know, what they are and where they came from. Well, you're eating the earth. I mean, that's what I tell people. Keep it simple. You know, we overly complicate everything and we try to have these arguments and, you know, I have the beef initiative. Yeah, it's 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 about beef for me. I'm from freaking Texas. But what this is about is pure food, clean, pure food, something that's not industrial, something that's not a fake commodity. And I just don't allow any of that type of, you know, consumption in my mindset or my analytical mindset or even my consumption is what food truly is anymore. I just don't allow it. Fantastic. Jacob, anything you want to add there? If you want to compare sugars, highly processed sugars and carbohydrates versus to seed oils, probably based a little bit on my vintage and what I've grown up having been normal to me in my world, I feel like everyone has always known sugar's bad for you, but you just eat the stuff because it's delicious. And it's sort of like informed consent. You know, it, it's, it's pretty sinister when you start looking into uh, the way a lot of these companies market and put themselves forward. But I feel like nobody's Maybe they don't understand how bad it is for them, but they know it's not good for them. 
I would argue that in, in right now, 2023, that the seed oil thing is a bit more sinister because there's there's spins out there telling you that these are the healthier alternatives and they're selling people stuff that's destroying them health in the name of health. And it's just so hard for consumers, especially people that are data-driven, and this sounds a little bit heretic, but you know, data's bought, studies are bought, people are bribed continuously. We saw that with the food pyramid and we've seen it with seed oils and and. It just goes on and on, and it just it, it feels worse to me what what they're doing with oils than what they did with sugar because I feel like most people always knew that wasn't probably great, but it was just maybe worth it for them. Yeah, right. And over the decades, there were there have been different let's say paradigms of what was popular, right? As as I understand from the eighties and maybe the nineties, it was it was like a low fat paradigm, and and now people are sort of coming back, and I think it's becoming more popular now. This sort of keto, whatever you want to call it, keto, low carb, paleo, carnivore, whatever. Um, I think most people in this space are kind of operating somewhere closer to to that end in terms of how they think about food. And so, yeah, I want to ta- I want to chat a little bit about the beef initiative now. So, Slim, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? So, if listener doesn't really know, what what's the beef initiative? That gets asked a lot, and and it's a, it's a very kind of it's a good question. But what I you know. I like to ask people, you know, what their understanding of, you know, the United States Cattle Association is or the cattle industry is, the beef industry is, and nobody really knows. And so I always tell people, you know, the beef initiative is what you're going to make out of it because it's a form of, like I use the words, food intelligence and beef intelligence. It's basically getting you back into a market access to where you can have a relationship with the people that actually do want to feed you exactly like Jacob and Wokey Farms there in Australia. And and once people understand that they do have market access, that's one thing they don't realize that they don't have that much of anymore because of the multinational corporations that control food processing and packaging and distribution is that we really don't understand that the American rancher right now has been, uh, there's a prohibition going against the American rancher. We're losing about 40% of our ranch lands and of our ranchers. The average age of a rancher in the United States is 63 years old. We're losing a generation of intelligence and it's not being replaced. It's being basically hijacked by the multinationals. The Beef Initiative is not trying to uh, compete with the multinationals. What we're doing is we're creating an industry within the industry that basically is based on food intelligence that basically is saving children's lives. It's saving adults' lives. And what it is, it's giving the great American rancher a voice again that they lost whenever we went into this multinational type of food system. And what we want to do is rebuild our communities and, and basically education, 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 just like Odell says, Marty Ben says. We were just in Tennessee where we sat on the stage of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. We had talks about, you know, getting back to our communities, exactly giving that voice to the American rancher that is being lost. There's a war on beef globally, you know, with this climate change. There's so much propaganda. We eliminate all of that, and we're giving people market access to education to better their health to basically look at heritage see where they came from and the american ranchers are starting to come into the beef initiative it's voluntarily we have over 120 ranchers that are now in our platform and people are finding them in their local communities so what we've done is give market access to communities across the united states to where these ranchers actually have a new pillar of strength they have a conversation. And then we brought in Bitcoin as far as peer-to-peer transacting for beef and Bitcoin. 
these ranchers are adopting it because it's better money than for the beef industry in the United States. So once again, the beef initiative is very broad, but we've had five micro summits conferences across the United States that uh, I put together at the end of last year. And then of course, you know, we were able and lucky enough for us to meet up with the Australian guys and the farmers over there in Australia. And it's just been a holistic kind of spreading of the same type of movement that is wanting to feed our families, feed our communities, leverage Bitcoin and beef together and pure food and bring, uh, you know, a form of a, a decentralized food movement back into everybody's spectrum, into their mindset. And we're having fantastic success here in the States. And then, of course, we're going to go over to Australia and I'm going to tour over there for the whole month of February. We're having a big summit over there at Wokey Farms at Jacob's Place. Fantastic. So, Jacob, do you want to tell us a little bit from an Australian point of view, what does it look like? very grassroots here. The way I fell into it was oh, I actually own a butchery, so my own processing facility, so we can't slaughter our animals, but we can receive the carcasses that we raise on our farm and send to an abattoir, and we receive them to butcher them. I bought that facility at the uh, end of 2020 purely out of necessity because I realized through my farm selling direct to public that the other local butchers were not going to be able to support any meaningful sort of volume production and they also didn't care about uh, my wants or my customers wants wanting to process meat uh, slowly with care wanting to do preservative free curing methods wanting to have uh, really nice tidy clear packaging where we cared a lot about integrity and not faking dates and not substituting this person's trim with that person's trim where integrity based farm and things need to be as we put them forward and in my facility, I've got two full-time butchers and there's a bit of extra downtime where we can process on behalf of other farmers. So we're processing for 15 other local farmers and that takes up a bit of probably just under half of our production. So about 60% is doing my own internal goods and then the other 40% is everyone else's stuff. And one of the gentlemen that I was processing for was a Aussie Bitcoiner, John Tiernan, and he's one of the guys that's heading up the beef initiative. And that's how I actually... I uh, met this crew, they've reached out to me and said, can you process uh, our meat in your butchery and then we're going to take it back to Melbourne. And he sent me his order sheet with how he wanted all of these boxes of beef package. And in the columns, in one of the, he had their, their names, the quantity, and one of the columns was payment type. And it was Fiat, BTC, BTC, Fiat, Barter. And I'm like, this is cool. This is the first person I've actually ever met that has been willing to uh, send and receive Bitcoin. Like, as a, I'm a relatively new Bitcoiner, and from the outside looking in, there's a lot of people uh, buying and holding. And it just, I'm not a buying and hold. I'm not an investing guy. I'm a businessman. So buying and holding something doesn't resonate with me. I want to put my money and my value to work. And interacting with these Bitcoiners who wanted to earn and spend their Bitcoin was really exciting for me. And then I asked them, I just off the spreadsheet, I said, hey guys, what's going on with this? And they said, uh, we are the beef initiative. And off we went. I said, well, I'm in, count me in. That's fantastic. And I'm also curious as well, because uh, the same kind of idea that um, in America, that let's say the kind of the way the industry went in terms of 
only having a few large processing facilities and uh, people you have to go through for that. I'm curious if you have any comment from an Australian point of view on that. Like, was there any similar kind of direction that the Australian government and Australian regulations went? Well, the regulations suck. Yeah. You know, there's no... And, and the main issue with the regulation is that there's no allowance for scale. So, you know, a facility that would be slaughtering five cows a day is not the same thing as a facility that's doing 500 a day, which is not the same thing as one that would do 5,000 a day. Like, I think we can all wrap our head around that. But just due, due to the nature of the legislation, the code of conduct and best practice is written for the big boys and everyone else has to comply and it's just onerous. It's onerous in a labour sense. Like I don't, I'm not affording lawyers uh, to go through and make sure I'm complying with everything. It's just not the way small business works. So it's hard here, but it's not as hard as America. I listen to these guys, these ranchers in America, talking about having to book their animals in that they want slaughtered eight, ten, twelve months ahead of time uh, to get them to the market. Like it's nothing. I can call my abattoir and drop off animals in a week and get them processed too. So there's a lot of health and safety compliance and, you know, our vehicles have to be registered with the food authority and all of this sort of stuff. But there, there's no, like, a, America's funny because it seems to be a bit of a contrast. In some states, you get permission. You've got Joel Salatin, Joel Salatin from Polyface Farm that's allowed to slaughter 10,000 chickens a year on his farm without any compliance. But if he does 10,001, he has to invest millions and millions of dollars into this big facility and have state inspectors and packers there. Uh, so they sort of seem to have a little bit more freedom on one end and then a lot more onerous regulation on the other. We're sort of in the middle. Yeah, to what Jacob says as far as, you know, the regulatory capture that has happened in the United States, it is the biggest bottleneck for us to have sovereign ranchers like we once had. And that's because of the scale, you know, the lack of scalability downward to the smaller macro processors that local communities, local ranchers, smaller ranchers, you know, we have, I'm in the Texas panhandle right now. It's the belly of the beast of the multinationals. We have JBS, Cargill, National and Tyson all within 20 miles of where I'm standing right now. I mean, they're processing five to 10,000 collectively a day and more, millions of cattle every year. That cattle doesn't stay in the United States. It goes overseas. And so you have all of this production and processing going on where I'm standing and nobody in the community is having access to that beef. And that's done by, you know, with the lobbyists and with the, you know, the people that actually, you know, change legislation through money, through lawyers. And so it is a big bottleneck of basically for the rancher and the consumer. That's what the beef initiative has done. A lot of ways of, that Jacob's done there in Australia is that like we have Cole Bolton of K&C Cattle in Central Texas. He is our distribution. He is our processing center for the beef initiative. We've sold over a half a million dollars beef through that processing center apparatus. We call it a vertical integration. From the soil to the grass to the cow to the rancher to the processor to your fork, we know exactly where that cow is where it started, where it's ending up. You can't say that in the multinational processing center apparatus. You'll have to be waiting eight to 10 to 18 months. That just kills the rancher. You can't really put that time needed into the stewarding of the land, nor the animal, if you're letting somebody dictate to you whenever you're gonna harvest that animal. So it's unlimited as far as the regulatory capture. And that's what we do. We just circumvent around it. We just don't pay attention to it. We're not dependent on any one of those touch points. 
And, you know, that's that's where we're going back to where our grandfathers did. In the state of Texas, we have 254 counties. We used to have 254 processing, small processing centers. That's what the Beef Initiative is bringing back, that understanding, that reflection, the education. And now, you know, we're consulting on processing centers here within the Beef Initiative in the states now because we do have guys that have successfully opened up processing centers or abattoirs or butcheries just like jacket is doing and we're going to replicate that and replicate that and replicate and people are getting in line to be able to do that now great and so could you guys just outline for listeners what's the difference going to be in the beef product when it's sold as part of a beef initiative or similar well, I'll let Jacob go with that because he's doing it every day in real time, and he's he's hands on. I don't know if everybody's going to get onto his Twitter and watch everything that he's doing because he's really educating daily. So go ahead, Jacob. So on our farm, my farm's called Wolkie Farm, which is my surname, my family's name, and we do beef, pork, chicken, lamb, eggs as five main productions and then we've got some small things around the edge like a market garden and some beehives but uh we we like to have a lot of different things going on because that replicates nature doesn't it nature's not this uh monocrop monoculture you know efficiency based whenever you're building something for efficiency you're losing all the resiliency out of the system you start to become chemical dependent so we have all these different animals on the farm and we have production uh, models that we use on the farm and I call it our flywheel and I think if I riff on that for a couple of minutes you'll start to understand what farms like us can can offer in value so our first uh, pillar production pillar part of our flywheel is animal welfare and animal welfare to us is contextual so you'll hear out of these factory farms people that have pigs in sow stalls that a sow stall is a it's there for the welfare of the animal to make sure it doesn't lay on its piglets so it's it's the, the welfare is measured on a metric of less piglets killed, which sounds like a really nice piglet, right? We can make sure uh, less people fall downstairs and hurt themselves by locking them in solitary confinement for the for the rest of their lives and make sure they never access the staircase. It's the same analogy. So like, of course, some, some piglets in a certain scenarios die, unfortunately, it happens in the wild, it's par for the course. And you've got the same analogy with, with chickens and cows. I don't believe feeding grain to herbivores is high welfare. Uh, I don't believe cutting tails off lambs is high welfare. There are ways to circumnavigate these productions, uh, the, these production little hiccups, I call them. And we just need to have farmers that value the welfare of the animal and are actually willing to challenge the paradigm. The second thing I call our environmental backbone, uh, we are our environment and animals are our environment. So when I hear people say that cows are bad for the environment, it drives me up the wall because cows are the environment. And this self-loathing that humanity is adopting at the moment, that we're somehow bad for the environment and, and off you overpopulating, you need to populate control. And we see it all on Twitter. You see it all over the, the, the media. It's, it's self-loathing and, and what it's doing, like I've got two young boys and I can only imagine that suddenly coming into their life day after day, telling them that, that they're the problem and they're bad. Uh, so, you know, the environment's really important to us because we are the environment and we need to work in with the environment. And the reason I call my production values a flywheel system is once you look after the animal's welfare in the context of what that animal actually needs, the environment responds beautifully because animals are the environment. So when you have cows outside on your ranch instead of in a barn and you're moving these cows from pasture to pasture quickly doing holistic management like what we're doing, the environment bounces back and diversity comes in and you're growing more uh, produce and have a healthier environment. Uh, the third 
production value is healing food. We believe that food heals people and communities. So we're, we're actually just going down the path now of getting nutritional testing on a bunch of our SKUs so we can actually back that up with data. But I get feedback nearly every single day from consumers that uh, their kids have never been able to eat eggs because it gave them eczema. They haven't been able to eat pork for 40 years because it gave them stomach cramps, diarrhea and indigestion. Beef gave them headaches, all sorts of weird things. But when they're eating produce from my farm, all of these ailments that they've dealt with for decades have disappeared. And so I'm very bullish on the fact that real food from real landscapes can be healing food. Uh, number four, we want to build community. And number five, we want to be profitable. And if you can understand welfare, environment, healing food, community, profit, and how that gains momentum and keeps flowing into each other, uh, that's what you're buying when you're buying something from a local regen farm or the beef initiative. And the way it works is we, we don't cut any corners and the price is the price. So of course, our food is more expensive when you grab it off the shelf, but there's no externalized costs. So just say my bacon uh, in Australia is $40 a kilo and most bacon off the shelf in the supermarkets, 20 or $26 a kilo. It's not all equivalent, but let's just say that, be that as it may, that cheaper bacon is being subsidized by cruelty to the pig. So that pig's picking up the bill for you. It's cheaper because of the efficiency of the farmer in the sheds being able to save because the animal suffering subsidizing the cost at the end. And then you've got poor working in conditions for the staff. Like who want most of my staff have all come from factory farms. And I tell you what, they're all they're all uh, you know, praising the Lord that they're they're thankful to be out working on pastures and you know having such a visceral participation in this in this beautiful production model and we're not making the environment pick up the tab we're not making uh the staff pick up the tab and, and everyone's we're, so what we're doing is we're trying to do everything the best we can and then we price it accordingly it's not to say that we don't care about the price i've done more price drops in 2023 than i did price rises because we are able to uh introduce scale and build efficiencies but i'm very mindful of the fact that i, I don't want any system or animal to pick up the tab so my consumers can save that's not what we're about yeah that was a really great way to put it it really is i mean that's that's a such good i mean it's a, that's why i loved i can't wait to get to australia to hang out with jake because he has such a good eloquent way of explaining it in a very good visual way you know and he talked about you know the flywheel you know i call it a vertical integration that has a, a circle of energy and that's what it is you keep that circle of energy flowing and it just builds on itself and everybody that comes in through the beef initiative, you know, we have so many different certifications, philosophies, protocols when it comes into animal production and stewardship of the soil, the lands and everything. And one thing that's happened in the United States is it's caused a lot of divisions within the ranchers, producers in the United States from all the way from the commodity route, subsidized route, as Jacob just said, all the way into the regenerative, fully regenerative. And so what we want in the beef initiative, this is not a judgment. We all got here how we got here, but we want everybody to work together to basically get into a system that is regenerative based, that it is about animal welfare, that it is about basically your health, your nutritional fly, uh, flywheel of energy that you know learning and educating yourself on how jacob the operator the producer is doing it in australia we've got to do it in the united states this is not a borders thing it's sometimes it's a geographical thing and you have to make
make, you know, different adjustments. And that's why I love to this next year that I'll be traveling all the way around the world to find out how we do things in different places and how people can work together to educate each other. We're connecting so many ranchers now within the beef initiative that are talking to each other that have never talked to each other. And it's because it's decentralized and it's based on one thing. We're trying to basically improve the soil, the land, and we're, we're worried and we're concerned about animal welfare. And we're more important than anything is that we know that both of those basically is giving the health to our children back. It's something that's been stolen. Us adults across this nation in the United States have proven it because 88% of us are now metabolically compromised. That's because of our consumption. So there's so much that goes into what Jacob just said that people can look at it and say, this is a lifestyle. This is how I do this. This is where I'm going to point my compass instead of worrying about these nutritional, you know, diet plans that are on a 12 month program of fiat kind of thinking that's like, okay, this time it's going to be a, a new trend that's going to save my health or it's going to, you know, tell me what food is, you know, in a new way because they're bringing in food science food is not science science is not food food is biology in a way that people don't understand back to the show in a moment now there's been some recent controversy in the space about people losing their coins and there's been that argument made that self-custody is too hard i don't believe this is true unchained capital can help you you can self-custody your coins and unchained can particularly help you by upgrading your security to multi-signature meaning you hold multiple keys and unchained holds one of the keys you can still spend unilaterally and they can guide you through this process and help smooth it over so that you can hold your own keys without having to trust somebody else and unchained capital have a program it's called the concierge onboarding program so they can ship you some hardware devices do a call and walk you through this and set you up and afterwards you'll feel so much more peace of mind so if you're interested in getting an unchained concierge onboarding program go to unchained.com concierge use the code lavera for a discount there now when it comes to sending bitcoin transactions i like to use mempool.space to target my fee so mempool.space is a bitcoin explorer it shows bitcoin blocks it shows transactions you can see second layer networks like the lightning network and it also gives you some fee estimation so i use it regularly when i'm doing bitcoin transactions it's even built into various wallets now so mempool.space is a fantastic tool and you don't even have to trust a third party you can host it yourself it's available on various full node distributions and if you are with an enterprise mempool.space offers additional features and customized mempool instances you can have your co your company's branding and increased api limits so if you're interested in this go and become an enterprise customer over at mempool.space slash enterprise and now back to the show yeah so can you Tell us a little bit now about the Bitcoin aspect of it. I, I'm curious to hear, uh, probably from Jacob, I think, you, you, as you said, you're a little bit newer in terms of the Bitcoin world. What's it been like for you trying to come into this world and understand, uh, I guess, the kind of the way Bitcoin uh, people uh, are uh, coming to you um, for, for this? Yeah, I am pretty new on my Bitcoin journey. As everyone, I've heard about it uh, in the media and, and getting around town for years and years now, but I've never really had a personal connection with people that are, uh, knees deep in this world and like I explained earlier uh, John from the Beef Initiative in Australia was probably my first real contact into it the the thing I, I understand the concept of, I'm trading in Bitcoin now so I'm buying and, and selling in Bitcoin which I think I'd encourage every I know a lot of people love holding 
my whole thing is like we need to get this stuff working right like if we if you want to use it as sound money like use it as sound money but the thing i love about it is the people that it's connected me with i i don't have to foresell a value proposition of sovereignty and self-reliance to people that are already involved in bitcoin you know a, a, a lot of people when they go tell me about your farm tell me about your produce why would i buy yours it's a bit more expensive you know, sometimes it falls on deaf ears and that's fine. We're not for everyone. We, there's enough people that want it that we don't have to force the story. But the the Bitcoiners that I'm connecting to uh, on the regular, they're fanatics about supporting my business because they already know that we've got enough in common that I, that I probably check a few of their boxes and they understand sovereignty. They understand peer-to-peer transactions and not worrying about onerous regulations in the middle. And I've, I've, I'm having an absolute blast. The, the, the people and the communities and the attitude excites me uh, more than the technology. And I think the technology holds all of that up. And I hope that's not blasphemy to say in this network. But it, for me, it's all about the vibe, the community, the, the conscientiousness that's coming out of it. That's fantastic. And Slim, I know you've done uh, you've done your fair share of trying to connect the uh, Bitcoin and beef worlds. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, that? I know you ran some summits as well, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think we're kind of leading the way on that. I mean, we've been, our technology stack, man, we're, we're over a full year of trading beef and Bitcoin. And our technology stack has basically helped out, I don't know how many ranchers, Ranchers aren't going to, they don't, you know, I'll generalize here. Ranchers, you're not going to ask a rancher to go buy Bitcoin and he's going to be convinced. A, a rancher wants to earn his Bitcoin. He wants to trade peer to peer, transactional. He wants value for value. And so once you get the beef and the Bitcoin discussion going, you don't have to sell Bitcoin. You don't have to sell beef. You have two people that are already intentional. They want the same thing as Jacob said. You know, it's a decentralized mindset, it's based on value transparency authenticity it's something that has been stolen you know i always ask everybody in the united states it's like where's the store of the value of the cow nobody can really explain to it because the value of the cow in the united states is in the usda insurance policy well it used to be in the land or in the cow itself or maybe it was in the rancher you know there was something there that you could identify where that value of the cow is the rancher understands that this is a store of value that they can rely on on a long-term generational aspect that was stolen in the United States through the subsidization and commoditizing of our beef in the United States. And so whenever you can actually look at a new store of value, you can have peer-to-peer transactions. A lot of the ranchers in the United States, what they use it for and through the beef initiative itself is 3% uh, credit card, basically fees to the rancher and chargeback man that that adds up so usually the first entry point for a rancher in the united states has been is that they're going to eliminate that three percent and they can change it like on a in a split second if they need to keep 97 percent in fiat they can do that they can keep that three percent that they're not paying to the credit card companies in a basically in their wallet they don't have to worry about it they're in the long run that saves up to be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars and then when you have a people that are pretty educated and want to trade with you like jacob said they say hey i want to i want to be your partner here I 
I want to exchange value for value, Bitcoin and beef. Then you establish these relationships that are very strong and they become educational. They become something. And that's what these summits actually prove is that you get these two groups of people that now are one and they're working together and that builds community, that builds adoption, that innovates within technology as, as far as Bitcoin itself. Because we're not there yet, man. We got to innovate with Bitcoin. We can't sit on it. It's not going to do anything if you just stare at it. So we have to put it to work. And I, you know, I, I came up through big tech in that that sequence of events from the startups of online software to the dot com boom and bust. It's the same thing with Bitcoin. The adoption period takes time, but it takes innovation and iteration. It, innovation and iteration. The ranchers now are helping us do that because they come with demands that they say, hey, this would be cool if we could do something like that. We're doing all kinds of stuff. We're working with OSHI app here in the United States with IBEX, you know, open node, you know, uh, BTC pay server. We're working with these other Bitcoin companies and saying, hey, let's get up, you know, let's let's innovate a little bit more, innovate a little bit more. And by using it as a peer-to-peer -peer transactional system, we're finding out a lot of ways that we can leverage into the future that does become a store value, peer-to-peer -peer transaction that they actually can leverage and they can say no to the fiat world more and more as we move forward. Yeah. And Jacob, I'm curious, And from your point of view, you know, have you found it difficult to use Bitcoin as part of your business or it's been, you know, you've, you've found people who can help you? I struggle self-educating with technical things purely because I find them boring. Uh, so that's probably one of the reasons I didn't get into Bitcoin earlier. I Googled it. What's a wallet? What's a sat? not interested anymore i'm going to go and do something that i know that i'm already good at and put my energy into that and that's where john did it we worked wonders for me he actually drove to my farm all the way from melbourne which is an eight hour round trip to attend one of my open days which we had 400 people come to the farm and do a farm tour and have a barbecue with me and he helped me in person download a wallet and he also uh, handed me a hard wallet as well and he said next try that one first and then when i when i see you next time I'll, I'll help you set up this one and having you know a bit of a bitcoin mentor like that is you know a, a, was a really powerful way for me to actually get along with it uh, our e-commerce website is just about ready to go we i've been i'm about three to four years into my farming journey farming isn't my background i'm i'm root, grassroots retail i've got a few other businesses i own a restaurant i've got a bicycle shop a few different things and the we haven't really pushed the e-commerce yet because we purely haven't had the volume. Everything's been selling out locally to need to ship it into Melbourne or Sydney because I'm about I'm sort of halfway between Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, but now we're we're getting close to volumes coming through now. Animals are productions coming up, requiring more land, and the website's coming up. And we are going to be accepting and trading uh, Bitcoin through the website and you know my developer who's in house because he works for my bicycle business has found that really reasonably easy to plug and play fantastic well that's great to hear and yeah like i think it is a great point you make that uh your bitcoin mentor is uh, a key person right they make a huge difference right because they can point you in that right direction and teach you all the right things about you know non-custodial or self-custodial and all of these things so let's chat a bit about the event coming up so we've got this event yeah, tell us a bit about the event coming. Yeah, I love parties. Uh, any excuse to get people on the farm. You know, I, I am anti, this is probably a strong comment, but I'm anti-certification. We're not certified or organic or certified free range or any of these things. Uh, they're onerous in Australia to be certified organic. All of a sudden, a percentage of every dollar of revenue 
you uh, have as income related to your organic produce goes over to the organic board. Uh, I'm not interested in that. I that this is greenwashing for big business because you know they're happy to give away a percent to market perceived value on the shelf to the you know hundreds of thousands of people going through the supermarkets every week. This isn't interesting to me. What's interesting to me is uh, integrity-based farming and having uh, transparency. So the way that we market ourselves is come to the farm, shake the hand of the farmer, which is myself and my crew, do a farm tour, ask the questions. I've learned so much of uh, what I know and believe and what I know customers uh, want from my farm tours. So they're, they're probably the single most important thing as a farm system for us and the beef initiative is just an extension to that so we've got the first summit coming up on february the 12th which is a sunday and it's a two and a half hour farm tour at the crack of morning we're starting at 7 a.m i think so everyone's going to have to get out there bright and early we're, we're starting early purely because it's so hot and oppressive that time of year uh, in our area and then we've got a couple keynote talks in the morning texas slim here is kicking it off for the day to sort of some uh, set the stage and then we have a couple of local doctors we've got max gulhain who's going to talk about metabolic health and we've got uh, dr pran uh, loganathan who's going to come and discuss i guess he, he he's gone deep down the uh, glyphosate roundup chemical residual chemicals and, ha and how they're poisoning landscapes and, and destroying health in people and then we've got a couple bitcoiners um izzy and john tin and are going to give a bit of a they're going, to, they're going to offer the knockout punch. Everyone else is sort of buttering them up throughout the day, and then they've got the knockout punch. Uh, then we're going to have some beers at the end of the day. We're hoping to get about 150 people for that. I'd be, I'd be stoked to have 150. The night before, which is the, the Saturday of the 11th, we booked out a little restaurant in town, 30 people, and I'm working with the chef there, and we're going to have a three-course meal all with our produce. And so that's for sort of all the diehards who were traveling into state and having to stay the night before. We've already sold a third of the tickets for that. We only launched them two days ago. So there's some good momentum behind it. And I'm really excited about like all the ticket sales that I'm already watching come through on Eventbrite, which is where I've listed the event. Uh, I don't know any of them, which I'm really excited about because I've been going long enough and loud enough in my local community that I sort of know most people that are interested in what we're doing. So to be to be delving into state and, and spreading our tentacles across the region and meeting new people is really exciting for me. Fantastic. And Texas, uh, Slim, tell us a little bit about, uh, have you been to Australia before or is this your first time? This will be my first time. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I bought a one-way ticket, so here we go. And, uh, you know, we don't know how long the tour is going to be. Seriously, man, I'm taking my 18-year-old boy, and then we've got uh, Liz. Uh, you know, she she's out of Charlotte. She did Halloween this year. She's been part of the Beef Initiative, so man we had five of those summits like i said and each one of them are different and to jacob's point is like it's fun to look at the ticket sales because we had one in kerrville texas we had one in georgia at white oak pastures we had one at one of our ranchers uh ranch in colorado had at tennessee at bitcoin park so we've been back down to texas so everyone was across the nation but what we always notice is that people are coming from canada coming from south america coming from all over the united states and i keep on telling everybody this is an international lifestyle so y'all better jump in because this is getting back to the core of who we are and shaking a rancher's hand is more valuable to anything it's a power move right now because you develop these relationships you basically help innovate back into something that's going to give us strength and 
so it's going to be a blast going up and down you know the coast of eastern basically australia and you know not knowing for i, I think right now we have a couple of small get gatherings um a couple of our friends there in outside of melbourne we're going to have start something there on the 9th and then jacob's place on the 11th and 12th there's another one coming after that's going to be the 18th and so, you know, these, this is going to spread. I mean, people are starting to figure out that this is kind of a good way to kind of get together, kind of, uh, you know, the Bitcoin ethos, there is no borders. Well, there's no borders with food intelligence, beef intelligence, you know, community building. It's like, let's make this into an international thing and let's get everybody involved. Let's go hit all the continents in Australia right now is definitely leading the way on that. And they've really taken this up. And it's it's amazing how we all got together. It's because of Bitcoin and beef. And, you know, here we are. So I can't wait to get over there. And, uh, you know, we've had success over in the States. Let's go have success all over Australia. Fantastic. Well, yeah, look, as I, as I mentioned, I'm no longer in Australia, but if I was, I think, you know, this is a great opportunity. So any Australian listeners, um, make sure you check it out. So guys, where can people get tickets? Where can they find you and follow you guys online? Well, Eventbrite is where we've listed the events. And if you just search Walkie Farm, W-O-L-K-I, there's a lot of crazy spellings. I've seen them all every time I go into a uh, a, a clinic or a store and I, I uh, read, it sounds the simplest name to me, but it's W O L K I farm. If you search that on Eventbrite, you'll see our events uh, and I'm all over the place. So just under my name, Jake Wolke or Jacob Wolke, I'm on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And I'm having a lot of fun on Twitter at the moment. It's a, I, I've sort of never been active on it before. And when Musk took over, I thought oh, I'll log back onto my account just to, watch the uh, subsequent happenings just to keep up with it instead of relying on secondhand sources. And I posted a couple of things and had a lot of fun, met a lot of cool people and and, and, and sold a lot of protein. Got people inboxing me a dozen times a day. Uh, what's your product list? Can I, do you accept Bitcoin? Where can you ship to? Heaps of fun. Fantastic. Uh, and Slim, where can people find you? Actually, the best place for me is beefinitiative.com. It's our platform. It's where we sell the beef. It's you subscribe to our Substack. Uh, you know, we're gonna basically we have an upcoming event section on our platform as well that people can look at every one of the things that are happening in Australia. I'm gonna keep everything updated as Jacob and everybody in Australia, so we're making it easy access to get to their links to buy tickets or just spread it out. We want everybody to really spread this out, make it viral. You know, let's get this talking across the globe over here and in twitter of course is where i got started you know i knew the bitcoiners were going to be the place to start understanding beef and bitcoin so it's uh, at modern tea man on uh, twitter and then of course beefinitiative.com is the platform and i've got a podcast that we're put, pumping out to it's called i am texas slim and uh you know we're going to do a lot of recordings up until australia then when we're over in australia so we're going to keep it going live and jacob does a great job it's hard to keep up with him on twitter because he's always posting such quality content and everything and it's really education so definitely follow us both and we'll be tagging each other back and forth fantastic well uh listeners all the links will be in the show notes jacob and slim thank you for joining me today thanks for having me Hey, thanks for having on us, man. We appreciate it. Good to meet you, brother. I hope you found that one informative and educational. Make sure to share this show, particularly with any Australian Bitcoiner friends you have so that they know about the inaugural Australian Bitcoin Beef Initiative event coming up Sunday 12th. Show notes are available at stefanlevera.com slash 448. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels.